There wasn't a street that didn't lose a kid. Are you going to jump or are you going to burn to death? You could have a healthy Chicagoan literally be dead within 24 hours. On the Pullman car, you're treated like royalty. Without the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, there probably would be no modern civil rights movement. Chicago, more than any other city in America, truly embodies our nation's sweet tooth. Adams thought she would socialize democracy across class lines, across race lines. These women were not going to take no for an answer. Sears and Ward's catalogs, those were a holy grail in my house. Everything is in there. It was like this massive release of anger and just this cry for change. If you were an alderman, if you were another elected official, you wanted things done for your ward, you had to go kiss the ring in City Hall, and that was the mayor. As mayor of Chicago, I shall have only one goal, to make this city a better and more beautiful place in which to live. The new season of Chicago Stories debuts on WTTW here in Chicago on Friday, September 22nd. And as he owes me money, I was able to get one of the producers of the series to join me today to talk about the show. Eddie Griffin, welcome. Tommy, thank you very much. Uh, coming to, to visit you is like the uh, victory cigar moment of each project, because that means we're close to the air date and everything's done. No more edits, no more fixes, no more tweaks. Uh, it, it's showtime. You you are a smooth talker. So for listeners, uh, please share a little bit of your Chicago background, including how you got involved with WTTW uh, and about your lengthy arrest record. <laughs> Where do I start with that one? Um, I've been at WTTW now for over 15 years. Um, you know, I've done a lot of a lot of local documentaries, which is kind of our bread and butter, obviously, is, you know, to tell Chicago stories. And now I happen to be working on the series Chicago Stories, um, which has been, you know, it's they're hour long documentaries, but it's part of a series. And so, you know, we we want to tell the iconic Chicago stories, um, you know, the 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 things of, of the stuff of legend, the things that make the city what it is. Um, and Chicago Stories has been our way, WTW's way, of, of putting our stamp on a story and, and kind of becoming the official story or, or documentary of record. Um, and so that part has been really cool to kind of like not only learn these stories, um, because a lot of them are stuff you've heard of. Everyone has heard that the that Chicago reversed the river. But do you know how? Do you know why? Do you know how long it took? Do you know that it took eight years um, that, you know, that it was a a major undertaking? So we kind of get to the bottom of things like that to, you know, to kind of fill in everyone uh, so that, yeah, you've you've referenced all these things. People know of it, but do they know how, the why? And that's kind of where we've we come in with this uh, documentary series. You grew up in Chicago, as I recall, Southside Beverly neighborhood. Absolutely. Southside Beverly. Christ the King Parish. I noticed the Beverly poster over your shoulder. I love the company that does those. Uh, how did you settle on the four posters behind you? Uh, because that's all where I've lived before. So I kind of oh, okay. started far south side. And then as I, you know, started working at WTTW, I kind of made my way north. And, uh, you know, I've lived in the South Loop, uh, Lincoln Square, and then Old Town now. One step ahead of the feds at every point. That's, you know, you got to move every couple of years. So they yeah. uh, you know, don't forward the forwarding address. Otherwise, they're going to track you down. So of the eight episodes in Chicago Story Season 2, 
how do you producers get selected? Are you assigned the topics? Are you able to request the ones that you're really interested in doing? A little bit of both. You know, we've got uh, we've got like a it, this is a big team, which is also kind of a change for for how I've normally worked to where we've you know, it's an it's an episodic. It's a series. Um, so we've got an executive producer, Anna Gardner. We've got the vice president of local production, Shelly, Shelly Spencer. And, and the, the larger group is always, you know, looking, what stories do we need to tell? They're, you know, they're, they're researching, they're pitching, they're coming up with ideas. And that could be, you know, anything from just a title, a concept to like a full blown one pager, a full blown pitch. And that group sort of sits down and says, you know, what makes sense to put shows together? Like, yeah, we'd love to tell a hundred documentaries that take place in 1850, but we kind of want to have some variety and, you know, uh, tell stories that, that take place across, you know, multiple time periods featuring, you know, different stories, different characters, diverse backgrounds. So they kind of come up with like a, a, a master list. And then, you know, as producers like myself start to get wind of what's on that list, you start to angle for maybe those stories that you want. You know, oh, you know, I'd love to get. I'm always interested in candy. What you know? What do I know about that? What What do you think you've got going for that? So I, I think after a while, there's before anything gets done, before anyone really starts to you know put pen to paper, really starts to research or or even shoot and edit. There's a big collective group of like what makes sense for us to tell now and why. So roundtable discussion where everybody kind of throws in their ideas and and you narrow it down to the the best ofs for season two. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. I did get access to some of the advanced screenings, including the race to reverse the river, of course, as a fan of alliterative titles, trying to say that three times fast. I wondered to myself, did Eddie Griffin pick the name for this episode? I cannot take credit for that one. I thought um, I, I, there was a point where I think we had just, you know, the, the, this, the description of the show was the title. You know, like the, you know, what about the reversal of the river? And to their credit, our marketing team, um, everyone got together and said, we need, they, they need, the, the titles need to sell themselves a little more. And and I think as a producer, you're always like, oh, what does that mean? Like, you're going to take away the meaning. The race to reverse of the river, once you saw that, once I saw that on paper, that was like, oh my God, what a perfect title because there, it, there's urgency and there really was uh, to that story. They had to get this done by a certain point because otherwise St. Louis, which is where we were going to reverse the river to, um, was trying to, took this to the Supreme Court to try to, to block them. So there was urgency. Um, and so I think once uh, once the full season got all their, their titles in order, uh, it made a lot more sense to be like, oh, these are kind of jumping off the page as just, you know, rather than just whatever the the story was, whatever the concept was, just calling it that. These were you know, they had a little bit more flair to it, which was was really cool to see. I enjoyed the the story, and honestly, I knew very little about it. It was one of those things that I had always meant to research, and and so I'm glad you guys did it. But um, the idea of taking all of our waste and just sending it downriver, I truly thought to myself, like, well, it, it still is waste, and it still has to go somewhere. Like, somebody's going to end up with all of our wastewater. So um, it was great to see kind of how all that came about and and its effects on the environment and the ecology and and everything else down the line. Yeah. I mean, you kind of, as you know, a documentary producer, you put yourself in their position and people were dying because the waste was going into the river and then going into the lake. And that's where the city was getting its drinking water from. And as the city started to grow, there was more and more waste, more, more and more people, more and more waste. 
and got to the point of what else are we going to do? You know, there was even before the sewer system got built, you know, people had an outhouse and that outhouse just kind of cycled into the groundwater and it made its way into the river and then into the, into the lake. And you give them credit because they said, all right, something has to be done. This population is getting sick. This population is dying. And, you know, I'm sure St. Louis and, and even people downstate Illinois don't want to hear it, but they had to do something. And, you know, we'll figure out the consequences later. We need to save, you know, the in 1890, the 550,000 people living in Chicago, you know, we've got to get this waste out of here. And, you know, the river going backwards to the Mississippi was the solution. And it's kind of what makes, you know, these stories great is like, isn't that such a Chicago thing to be like, hey, we're just going to do this. We're going to send this down and we're going to get it built before you guys could step in and, and say no. Uh, spoiler, there's a great scene where uh, there's some really nice recreations, you know, old timey costumes and the whole bit. And there's a scene where guys basically go out and try to open up the dam on their own with a couple of shovels just to get things moving to stave off this injunction coming up from the south, which I thought was kind of a nice touch as well. Um, were you uh, on set for those yeah. filming? Yeah, so you were there for the whole bit. Yeah, we call those recreations. Where, where we, you know, there's the the point is that they again, St. Louis was hot on their tails to get it shut down and gone to the Supreme Court, and they just thought, well, if we get in there, we dig it open, and we get this thing rolling. Um, there, there's no way you can stop it. I mean, it's two billion gallons of water coming a day, like you can't stop it once it's open. So they, they, the trustees, uh, the engineers break in in the middle of the night and just kind of shovel out that last bit of, of earth and dam that is there blocking the river. And then the river start flowing into the canal and then the whole process has started. And it's just like, okay, now what are you going to do? You know, you can't stop us. It, so it truly is the Chicago way, right? It is the Chicago way, but yeah. there was, you know, a limited photo. So, you know, that's such a great story that we've got to tell. But I, I mean, there were some photographs of that day, but not enough to really flesh it out and to build on it. So, you know, we do what we call recreations, you know, or, or and you'll see those in other shows as dramatizations, but we're just trying to recreate what happened. Um, so we found a nice uh, stretch of land at uh, the old Stearns Quarry, Palmasano Park in Bridgeport that would have looked roughly. That's the, you know, that's the ground below uh, the surface here. So that was essentially what they were in right near where they were digging. Um, we got some great actors and our uh, director of photography or all you, sir was like just amazing and how it just how it was filmed how it was shot we had great lighting that day a lot of wind that kind of you know picked up some of the uh you know the the bunting and the clothing and you know just all of a sudden it's like yeah we went from making a documentary to like directing actors and you know getting a, a it almost felt like a narrative film very cool experience. yeah it, it looked amazing and honestly i didn't realize so my hometown of lamont illinois was kind of a big part of this process and you had a nice little segment there and so I thought to myself, oh, I wonder if my old English teacher from high school who used to write for the local paper and do a lot of history stuff ever talked about this. And sure enough, I found in the old Lamont newspapers, she talked about the very days where people would come out and kind of set up picnics and watch as all this stuff was was happening. So it was uh, it was great to see. It's it's fascinating. I like the you have kind of a cartoon recreation of uh, what is it called? The Ridge that uh, the water had to flow over anyway I, I it all was was pretty fascinating to me and and honestly i'm looking forward to to watching it again uh, i could ramble on about this for a little bit but i do want to get to candy capital again alliteration you guys are all about that 
candy companies in Chicago, I thought I had a pretty good understanding of candy manufacturing in Chicago. And I felt like I maybe knew 15% of all the stuff going on there. Was it the same for you? Absolutely. I think what I found or what I realized is that these are the brands that came from Chicago are the biggest brands in the world. You're talking Mars, that's Snickers, uh, that's Snickers and um, Mar- uh, Milky Way and Three Musketeers. You've got Curtis who made uh, Baby Ruth and Butterfinger, all of the um, the um, the other the um, Ferrara pan candy, which is all like lemon heads and red hots. Like these are the biggest candies in the world. And you almost take for granted that they all came from here. And essentially they all came from like Chicago's West side where all the factories were. Um, and you've got Hershey on the East coast and Nestle, of course, in Switzerland. Um, but every, almost every other recognizable brand of candy in the world comes from Chicago. And they're so big that you just almost take it for granted. Like, oh yeah, the, all those candy bars, maybe they had, you know, just a couple of chocolate manufacturers here, but no, the biggest brands were launched, were invented, were created here. And I've known about the, you know, that Chicago is referred to as a candy capital for a long time and covered it in other shows. But when you actually sit down and realize that that all came from here, it's actually pretty mind blowing that what was going on in Chicago in that time period to allow that for happen. And that's, that's where the the story takes us. Well, and you assume the things like caramels have been around for hundreds of years, but it turns out not really, you know, the idea of creating caramels and dipping them into chocolate and, and the simplest of things that we take for granted now were pretty revolutionary, you know, back to the world's fair of 1893, where people were introducing stuff, but hearing about the, uh, women in their kitchens basically making candy like you know starting out and doing this and trying to make a living at it was pretty easy to do back in the day and then if you were able to ramp up like some of these guys did uh you could make a fine living at it yeah and and you talk to candy makers even today and they tell you like the their their margin their margins are incredibly small. Like, yes, they can make a lot of money and there's certainly some candy companies that are, you know, there's their values in the bees. And, but when you talk to them, they tell you that they're the, what they make, their margins are so razor thin. So all the costs um, that they can, they can cut down on shipping, on transportation, on buying in bulk um, is what makes Chicago a prime candidate for, for candy manufacturing, at least, you know, in the early 1900s um, was that Chicago had all the shipping lanes we had, you know, we were the railroad hub of the United States. So that cut the costs down and, you know, there's Mars starts in Minneapolis, but they come to Chicago to get going because, well, all these other candy firms are there. Everyone else is buying sugar. They're buying dairy, you know, uh, corn for sucrose is is coming from iowa and it's all coming here and you can save you can make more money because you've got more trains you got more shipments uh coming into here so it's you know once the original base starts to build up then if you're in the candy business you've got to come to chicago because that's where everyone is and that's where the incentives are um so you know there it's it becomes a business story it becomes uh, a business story and it's also sadly why some of these candy firms aren't around anymore because of the way the industry went you know as we get into the 2000s and, and more recent times well, everybody's always looking for a way to shave a couple cents off of everything they do. And unfortunately, that means moving to less expensive areas. 
you cover things like sugar beets, which quite frankly, I never really thought much about sugar. I thought sugar cane and no, you guys talked about sugar beets and a lot of the aspects that go into making the candy that everybody has fallen in love with. And uh, as, a, as a history nerd and a fan of candy, probably more than I should be at my age, uh, it was all pretty amazing. So um, nicely done. Now, working on these two episodes, what would you say was the most surprising thing that you learned? I, for each, for for the race to reverse the river was just the scale. I mean, you know, when we talk about reversing the river, what we're talking about is building the canal that then runs, you know, below, uh, underneath, not underneath, but it runs lower than the the, late, the level of the lake. So that the, when you open up the gates at, you know, at, at Lake Michigan, water can just kind of flow from gravity down to Joliet, which is like 40 feet lower than Lake Michigan is. Um, so in order to build that, you've got to build a canal that's 28 miles long. And I think like, 12 feet deep and 18 feet wide, something like that in some places. Um, it took eight years. Like, so when we talk about, you know, engineering, we talk about, you know, this had to be done. Yeah, it, the, the city was, you know, in a race for survival, but the solution took eight years. And I think just when you when you break it out, when you realize how big of a construction project it was, um, 275 construction workers died in the eight years of building the canal. I mean, if you have you know, God forbid, one death in a construction project today, you're shut down. 275 people died, which just shows you the scale of this. I mean, they're using dynamite. They're living in poor conditions. It was dangerous work. And you don't think of, when you look at the canal, it just kind of, it's just a little peaceful flowing stream of water. You don't see that that could have been that dangerous and that big of a proportion of, of, of work. So that just knowing that, God, this took eight years, countless people, you know, like, the people who worked on it at the beginning were not the people who finished it at the end. You know, like those jobs had changed over. Yeah. And so you just think like quick fix solutions. Um, and this was not that. This was a long, painstaking process uh, to save the city. You mentioned the 275 workers who died uh, during construction. You also talked in the episode about civilians watching the blasting going on and a chunk of rock flew up and hit some guy in the head as he was watching. I think it might've been in Lamont. And I thought, boy, that's a horrifying way long before TV to get your entertainment is to uh, avoid flying uh, bricks and such. You also talked about the water cribs, which I love because I did a lot of research on the water cribs and the idea of starting a tunnel you know, out in the lake, two miles out in the lake, and then at the shoreline and meeting in the center. And as I recall, they were only like a quarter inch off, which that to me was mind boggling. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's a lot to be learned in that episode. I feel like I'm going to have to watch it at least three or four more times and then try to get the script from Robert Lorzel, who wrote it, you know, just to get more details, because, wow, it was uh, pretty, pretty stunning in a lot of ways. These are just two of the eight episodes that are going to be premiering. You've seen more of the other ones, any of the other ones, or have you just been too busy uh, finishing these up? I'm start trying to get eyeballs on some of the other ones, trying to get, you know, sneak peak premieres on some of them. Um, but yeah, Friday, September 22nd, 8 PM. The first, the premiere episode is actually um, our lady of the angels, the school fire of 1958. Um, sure, you want to start with a really upbeat topic. Yeah, yeah, I mean, oh boy. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, well, luckily, you know, we've got, well, not luckily, but, you know, we've got fire, um, you've got the death and disease of the river, um, we've got Danny Sotomayor, who's an AIDS activist, um, Jane Adams. there's Urban Renewal, and then there's Candy. You know, Candy yeah, is the honestly, one uplifting the, episode of the series. Yeah, the river and Candy, you kind of got the lightest stuff of of all of them. So, you know, you didn't have to go home depressed at the end of the day, like, I, that oh, was, yeah, give credit yeah. to uh, Anna and Shelly on that one of like, you know, as they're kind of filling in the season, it's like, oh, man, we're going to, you know, we've got to lift some people up here. We've got, you know, there's and of course, candy is not all sweets and, and not all sweets and giggles. Um, but overall, you know, it was that was sort of like the, uh, um, you know, a fun episode. But, you know, we still have some drama in there. So don't worry. Well, I almost forgot as I was watching the candy episode, you mentioned Charles Gunther and I thought, oh, I wonder if they're going to mention that he was the guy who brought the Libby prison, you know, the the uh, union prison from the south, uh, you know, um, up to Chicago to be used as a museum. And sure enough, you guys covered it. So kudos on covering all your bases because I didn't see anything there that uh, that uh, was missed. So nicely done. Thank you. The the thing about the candy or candy makers was that someone says along the way of like candy is basically sugar, chocolate and nuts. Like there's only so much you can do with it. And so the reason some of these firms, these brands become successful is the 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 salesmanship, the um the marketing genius of the, the of the company owners and to promote their brands and to you know flood the market um and to come up with these you know graphic designs that you know made you want their version of candy and and obviously William Wrigley um you know it was just gum it was just gum and he become, turns it into this billion dollar empire because of the marketing and the sales approach that they took to you know kind of wipe away their the uh, competition Chicago Stories premieres September 22nd at 8 p.m. on WTTW and online soon after at WTTW.com forward slash Chicago Stories. Eddie Griffin, thanks so much for being here today. Tommy, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. listening to today's episode about the new season of Chicago Stories on WTTW. Much appreciation to producer extraordinaire Eddie Griffin for taking time out to talk with me about this project. Thanks also to John K. Schneider for creating the Chicago History Podcast logo and the art used on the social media pages. He can be found at AngelEyesArtJKS on Instagram or via email at AngelEyesArtJKS at gmail. If you would, please take a moment and like, subscribe, and kindly review this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and tell a few friends. It helps us get the word out and reach new history fans and fans of Chicago. Get out and explore when possible, learn more about whatever city you live in, and stay safe. Thanks for listening.